the first thing that you should do is open the book and go to the table of contents. How many of you do that when you read a book? Okay, a few of you. Uh, for those of you who don't, this is uh, not a bad practice. If you, if you go to the table of contents, what's recommended is that you look and you see what the different major categories are, and it will help you understand where you are in the overall scheme of things. And it's interesting, if you were to take your Bible, and you had never read the Bible before, and you opened it up to the table of contents, uh, the thing that would strike me in my Bible, it says this. The books of the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and the books of the New Covenant. And so right away I would think, well, there must, the Bible must be about two covenants, which it is. And so I, I'm going to this morning just give you a, a, a very general breakdown of, of how I view the story. And I think if we open up to the major sections of the story, it would look like this. There's six of them. Number one is there's this creation of everything, and it's just it's astounding. You have creation, you have the man, the woman, God walking with them, the Garden of Eden, and everything's beautiful. That's chapter 1. That's, that's the first main act of the story. Then, like in all stories, something happens that creates this tension in the story and in the Bible, in, in God's story. It is the fall of man, the entrance of sin, and everything is changed. And it has devastating effects so significantly that God would take all of creation after about 900 years and he would destroy all but one man by the name of Noah. That's chapter 2 in the story. Chapter 3 is that a plan begins to unfold. You know how it is in a story. There's a tension set up, and then there's some kind of a, a, an attempt, some kind of the storyline is about solving whatever the tension is in the story, whatever the conflict that has arisen. And so we see God begins to build a nation. And through this nation, He is going to culminate His plan. And by the way, that's Act 3. It's where we are in the story right now. Act 4 will be the, the culmination or the rescue, as if it were, the coming, the ministry, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ. Section 5 in the story is the section of, it's like Christ has walked into the prison camp and broken open the doors, and now he's gathering all who are, by faith, willing to come out with him the development, the growth of the church, Act 5, and in the end of the story, we have a return to the beginning. We have the restoration of Eden. We have a new heaven, a new earth, the elimination of sin which entered the world, and the happily ever after in the story. We are in this third act of the story this morning, the, the building of this nation, and God is working towards something. And so... We had Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 boys, and they grew into uh, is this large uh, group of, of Jewish people. And then we have Moses who brings them out, and Joshua who leads them into the promised land, and we have the judges, and we've had now three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And as you look at the as you look at this storyline, it, it peaks, the high water mark is David. 
And then we are now on the downhill side and the deterioration of Israel. And this morning, the, the name of the sermon and the name of this chapter in the story is a, a kingdom torn in two. And it's really kind of a sad situation that we see here. I'd like to walk through the story with you. And then there's one major point I want to I stress this morning out of the story. Here's how it all goes down then. We see Jeroboam. He's a well-known man in Israel. He's a, he's a man of great standing. He was the guy that was put in charge of all the forced labor, which was significant. It is said in the text that there were 183,000 workers that worked for seven years just on the temple. He was in charge of all those people. And so, obviously, he was a very gifted man and a very respected man. And one day, after Solomon, we see that Solomon is getting near the end of his life, and he meets a prophet out in the country. Ahijah is the name of this man. And he comes, and it's a, it's a very, it had to be a very strange encounter. And uh, just, just to demonstrate here, we see that he's out there, and he meets this prophet, and this prophet evidently, it says, has a, a new, he has a new coat on, and he takes it off, and he does something like this. <clears throat> How many is that? Two? Count with me. Three. <clears throat> Four. <clears throat> Five. Six. Seven. <clears throat> eight. Nine. Ten. <clears throat> <laughs> now that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Somebody walked up to you, took off their coat, and came up to you and said, Here. <clears throat> Those represent the ten tribes of Israel. God is going to bless you, and you're going to rule over the ten tribes of Israel. How does that feel? <laughs> yeah, okay. Prophets had a way of getting people's attention. God did all kinds of strange things through the prophets. He said, however, in honor of David, in honor of David, the tribe of Judah, and later it would be Benjamin as well, is going to stay with Solomon's line, which would be Rehoboam. So Jeroboam becomes king of these ten tribes. However, I want, to, uh, I want you to listen to the promise that's given to Jeroboam. Chapter 11, verse 38. And remember this, because we're going to come back to it. This is what he says to Jeroboam. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes, how do you do that? By keeping my statutes and my commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. So that's the promise that God gives to Jeroboam. That he could be incredibly successful in his reign as king over these ten tribes of Israel. Well, when Solomon heard about this, he tried to kill Jeroboam, and so Jeroboam flees until Solomon's death. Solomon dies, and Jeroboam comes back. And remember now, this guy's well-known. He's respected among the people. And he comes with a large group of the people to Rehoboam, who has now been crowned uh, 
king at this point. So remember now, Jeroboam doesn't have these ten tribes as was promised to him. But Jeroboam comes, there's a, a large number of Israels that are supportive of him, and he comes to Rehoboam, he says this. He says, you know what? The people are tired. They have been taxed heavily. Like they have to work until May just to pay the government. Ring any bells? Solomon was very heavy on the tax on people because he had all these building projects. And there was much forced labor. And so the people, Rehoboam comes and says, if you could lighten the load, we will, we will serve you. And so Rehoboam goes away, and in the story, he talks to the older guys, and they say, you know what, Rehoboam? If you will serve the people, if you will come with a servant heart, they will serve you. Then he talks to his young uh, his young friends, some young whips, and they say, well, here's what they say. <clears throat> First Kings chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. The young men who had grown up with him replied, this is what they told Rehoboam to say, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. In other words, the, these young guys said, you need to become tougher. You need to, you need to take a stand here or they'll take advantage of you. And so that is what, that's the advice that Rehoboam took. Went back to the people, gave them his answer. It says the people went to their houses and he sent out uh, very shortly after that, the guy that was going to be in charge of all the labor, and they stoned him. And Rehoboam realized that the nation of Israel had turned against him. And so he fled to Jerusalem, and Rehoboam, as was prophesied, maintained ten of the twelve tribes of Israel in the north. So here's what we have. We now have the kingdom split in two. And so this is an important... I'm going to put up here just a little uh, thing for you to remember because as you continue to read in the story, it's easy to get confused when they talk about Israel and Judah. So here it is. Jeroboam is at ten tribes in the north and that is now going to be referred to as Israel. Okay? Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon is going to have Judah and the tribe of Benjamin would also join him. That is now going to be referenced in the south as Judah. So Israel is now in two sections, one called Israel in the north, the major group. The other is Judah in the south, and that is under Rehoboam. Both of these men were evil. I don't know which was worse. Jeroboam built the golden calves. You think they would have learned from history? And we see that Rehoboam worshipped other gods as well. He had male shrine prostitutes, all kinds of detestable practices. And then Rehoboam's son was not any better. Then we see that finally there was a man in the south whose name was Asa, the grandson of Rehoboam. And he came up against all this false worship. He even deposed his grandmother for her evil practices. And for 41 years, there was, a, a, there was a slight ray of light there in Israel, but that was short-last. 
lasted for about 200 years. There would be 20 kings. Only six in the south would seek after the Lord. And only one in the north during those 200 years. They refused to listen. And the decline continued in the story. In the Talmud, which is a book of the Jewish history, there's a story that, and this gives you a little light into Jeroboam. The story is that Jeroboam had a dream, and in the dream, God came to him and called him back to himself. And he said, Jeroboam, I want you and David and myself, I want you to come to me and we'll walk in the garden together. And Jeroboam's response was, who's going to walk first, me or David? And in the story, God said, David will go first and then you will come after him. He said, well, if David's going first, I'm not going. Gives you a little insight into the heart here of Jeroboam. So here we have the decline in the story, the split of these of Israel into two parts. And next week we will get into uh, probably one of the most evil kings of all time, Ahab and Jezebel. And we're going to enter into the scene to uh, another very important character, the prophet of Elijah. So let's just take a look at this story. We have the lower story. The lower story seems to be a complex, very difficult thing to understand. I'm sure for the people of Israel, they, it, it was very significant decline. There was a lot of straying from the principles and the things of the Lord. There were a lot of mistakes that seemed to could have been avoided to, that would not have caused this, this great nation to split. It doesn't really make sense from the lower story. Why would God give Jeroboam, who's not of the line of Solomon, why would he give him ten of the tribes? And why would Rehoboam listen to the advice, of the poor advice of the younger uh, counsel that he got in his day? However, we see that there's an upper story going on. And all of these decisions and all of these what appears to be mistakes that were made, and they were mistakes, they're all part of God's plan to do what he told Solomon would happen through the prophet. If you remember that, he told Solomon, he said, I'm going to tear the kingdom from your hands, but I'm not going to do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father David, but it will happen to the, in the life of your son and that is precisely what happened. That is precisely what God's doing. And so when you start reading through these decisions and wondering why are these people making these decisions? Remember, this is a sovereign work of God at work in the upper story, writing this story. So what about our story? What about our story this morning? Well, there's just one point that I'd like to bring up this morning as you and I think about this story that is being written. We could go into a lot more detail and, and look at the, the lower story here. You might want to read through that sometime. There's some really incredible 
uh, scenes in, in that story, things that happen to uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But for this morning's purposes, I want to bring out one point that keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over and over and over again continually from the very start of this story. In fact, we go right back to the very beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to just hang with me because we're going to just take a little trip. We're going to go back and I want us to see this pattern that keeps repeating itself over and over again. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16. And the Lord commanded to the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. In other words, God is saying, I want you to enjoy what I've given you. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. So many things that God has invited us as people to enjoy. So many things that he has made and done. And then he says this, but there is, there is a parameter here, there is a guideline, there's a word here that you need to heed from me. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The, the blessing stops. When you, when you step out of bounds here, there is a, there's, there's wide boundaries, but there is a boundary. When you step out, the blessing stops and you will die. Genesis chapter 6. We're looking at the life here of Noah. Verse 18. He said, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. In other words, everything's going to be destroyed, but God says, I'm going to bless you. And there's something in Noah's life that is characteristic of Noah that resulted in this blessing. It's in verse 22. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So here is a man that was willing to listen and do what God commanded him to do. And the promise was that God would bless him. Even in the midst of the, the most, uh, one of the greatest judgments upon the earth, we see Noah's life is still blessed. Then we move to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. We read this. He makes this promise to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will, I will make your name great. That's the promise to Abraham. Verse 4a, listen to Abraham's response. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. If Abraham had made a choice at that point not to obey God and to leave his country and go to a place he had no idea where he was going, the, bliss, the blessing and the promise at that point would have ceased. We keep going. We have Isaac, who's his son, towards in chapter 26. Listen to, uh, listen to these words. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'll give them all these lands. Through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. You see the pattern here that is emerging. We see Joseph and his life. We, were, we walk through the, the blessing and we see 
that the Lord was with Joseph. He prospered. He lived in the house of his master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. So what does Joseph do when he's approached at that point in his life with that great temptation with, with Potiphar's life, who'd been at, wife who'd been after him day after day? Listen to what he says. Again, it reflects his heart. He says to Potiphar's wife, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? There's Moses. We move into the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Listen to what he says to Moses. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, covenant then all of, of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. If you will fully keep my covenant and obey my commands. God's word to Moses. We see Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, and this repeats itself over and over and over again. I'll just give you one example. This is to Israel now. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised you on oath to your forefathers. That's the promise. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. A promise of great blessing to Israel. We see Joshua comes on the scene and he's going to lead the people in. Joshua, verses, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. We go into the Judges and the book of Judges and we find the same thing repeated over and over and over again. And we see that God says in chapter 2, Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive out your enemies before you, and they will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. So here's this example to Israel. You have the option. You have the option. You can either obey my commands and experience the blessing, or you cannot obey my commands and not experiencing the blessing. And your life will be full of thorns, and it will be full of pain, and you will not experience the blessing that I desire to give you. We move into the kings. Hang with me. We're just about <clears throat> up to present here. In 1 Samuel, there's Saul, and we see that he's being crowned as king. Listen to these words to Saul, chapter 12. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. We look at David in 2 Samuel and we see chapter 7, God's words to him. Chapter 7, verse 9. It says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of of the greatest men of the earth. That was his promise to David. Chapter 12, verse 11, 
It says, this is what the Lord says, and this was because of David's place of disobedience in his life. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. And so we see that his, his life takes a major turn away from God's blessing in this experience. Solomon, we see in 1 Kings chapter 2, we see that Solomon is given this charge. He says, walk in his ways, keep his decrees, commands, his laws, requirements as written in the laws of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do wherever you go. The promise to Solomon. And then finally, Jeroboam, chapter 11, up to the present point in our story. And we see these words This is the promise given to Jeroboam. He says, I will take you. You will rule over all your heart desires. You will be king over Israel if you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes and keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant, did. I will be with you. I will be with you. And this is my final passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's talking about Israel in this chapter. And this way he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. I realize This is redundant. But I want us to hear this principle this morning because it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And let's be clear about, first of all, up front about one thing. We are saved. We are saved through, through the work of Christ. We're spending thousands of years here watching and learning that we cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Israel couldn't, you can't, I can't. What's one of the lessons that we're supposed to learn here is that we, can't, we cannot keep our part of the covenant, which is being obedient to God. And so we need a rescuer, and that's what the story's about. We're going we're we're to look at that, and we're going to come to that place where we, we read and we understand that it is not by works, it's by grace, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let's be real clear on that. When we talk about this, we're not talking about how we get saved. But you know what? The next verse in Ephesians, right after, it is by grace you're saved through faith, not by works. You know what the very next verse is? But we are God's workmanship created to do good works. It's the very next verse. And so the point I'm making this morning is this. That you have a choice and I have a choice. We can, either, we can eitherly, either very, very carefully make it a point to, to know what's in here and to live our lives by it and to receive the blessing of prosperity and success and God's blessing being poured out on our lives. We can do that. 
Or we can be sloppy and we can let this book sit on the shelf and we can just kind of do what's going on in the culture around us and we can get up and wonder why life is getting so painful for us and why we don't seem to be experiencing the blessing of God in our lives. And, and you know, God seemed to promise me good, but I, I'm not experiencing that. These things were written for us on whom the, the age of fulfillment has come so that we might learn from them. This principle has not changed. And so I'm not questioning here, you know, if, if you're here and you have never by faith trusted in the righteousness of Christ and set aside your own, that's the first step. But once you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Nobody can change that. The question is, the question is, are we going to be obedient? Children who, who have a desire to please God and live that way and experience the blessing, or are we going to be naughty kids? Are we going to be disobedient kids upon whom God is always disciplining us and always chastening us? We have that choice. You have that choice. And this morning, in, in this part of the story, I want to just emphasize that <clears throat> every one of us in this room, we're going to get up tomorrow morning, we're going to live out the weeks, the months, the years, and we have this choice to either pursue God with all our heart and experience the blessing, or to chase after other gods and experience the same kind of destruction that Israel experienced, the same kind of pain, the same kind of heartache. It's a choice we all have to make. Father, this morning, <clears throat> thank you for uh, these things that are written down that we might learn. From, from Genesis through every book in the Bible, we see it over and over and over again that you're, you are God that desires to bless us, but we have to live within the boundaries of your word. We have to have a heart that is seeking after you. And so, Lord, might we be those kind of people. Might we, as we uh, <clears throat> order our lives and as we live out our days, may we do it with a passion for your word and a commitment and a seeking after you to live it out so that the blessing that you want to pour on our lives can be experienced. Father, I pray that for, for us as your people. Father, we just uh, commit this lesson uh, <clears throat> to your Spirit's work in our, in our lives today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. What grace is mine that he who dwells in endless love called through the night to find my distant soul and from his scars for mercy that would be for me that I might live and in his name be known.
Amen.